look, if you don't get up every day and do the work that maybe not everybody else is doing because mm -hmm. you're the boss and it falls to you, uh, your business doesn't thrive, right? And you have to connect with people. Well, hey, everyone, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. I'm your host, Kent Ingle, president of Southeastern University. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, vice president for innovation. And we are excited today to introduce our guest uh, for today's show, Congressman Darren Soto. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me back on campus, Dr. Ingle. Oh, privilege. Uh, Darren was elected the U.S. House of Representatives in 2016 to represent Florida's ninth congressional district. It includes all of Os uh, Osceola and parts of Orange and Polk counties. Darren is now in his fourth term and currently serves on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce and the House Committee on Agriculture. It's again great to have you and, and we've had the chance to connect uh, many times and mm -hmm. just so privileged that uh, uh, you you represent Florida and, uh, and you serve uh, you serve our nation so well. So thank you for what you do and thank you for taking time to be with us today. I want to um, uh, start out by talking about, you know, you, you learned the value of hard work from your parents. I, I, I know that. And eventually entering the realm of politics and, of course, becoming the first uh, Floridian of Puerto Rican descent to serve actually in Congress. And, and, and that was in your first term. Uh, passing the most laws, I believe, of any, if I'm correct, of any freshman member in the House. That's true. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a, that's amazing. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing influence and your passion for, you know, public service and, and helping those in need. When did you realize this was that kind of career journey? Sure. Well, first of all, when I think about my family's journey, it is a foundation of uh, the knowledge that you have to work hard in life. And so... My dad was born in Puerto Rico and came uh, to New Jersey in the mid-50s. My mother was born and in, in, raised in public housing in Patterson, New Jersey. And it was through my dad's service in the Navy and then getting their uh, first home through a VA loan, going to college the first in um, his line of the family um, through the GI Bill, uh, which, by the way, makes me a big supporter of those programs. Yeah, and uh, by the time I got there, though, they were well ensconced in the middle class. So I had a lovely childhood, uh, but it was through the hard work of my parents. My mom was a hairdresser, and she was originally the breadwinner, as my dad was in the Navy and then yeah. was going to college. Uh, and then he got into computers. And, uh, and so we had a, I had a lovely childhood in, in New Jersey. And, you know, there were little snippets of public service throughout um, but it was when I came down here that I really, uh, it really solidified. But when I was in high school, I was in my congresswoman then, Marge Rokema's uh, international um, mock congress. Uh, although I got to say, I was a wallflower at that first <laughs> one because I was like, wow, these kids really know what they're doing. Uh, it was foreign policy, yeah. not really my bailiwick, right? Even yeah. to, while I know a lot about foreign policy, I focus a lot on economic right, issues right. and mm -hmm. environment and, and things very focused on Central Florida. And then... Um, I got to serve in Boy State, which is sponsored by the American Legion, uh, something I share in common with Aaron Bean and Marco Rubio, mm -hmm. um, who were in Boy State in Florida. Uh, and I learned some lessons there. I lost my first race for city commission. I lost my race for county commission. And this uh, I still remember to this day this young man who had won and was our mayor was like, well, you know... You're more of an intellectual type, so why don't you run for Senate and I'll run for House? And I was like, 
I've lost every race. Why are you running for center? Right. Like, no, this is going to work. And, uh, you know, I talked about my vision, the laws yeah. I wanted to present, and I won the Senate race after wow. <laughs> losing two and then uh, – and then ended up being president of the Senate, and that was junior year of high school. So there were little snippets, even sure. though most of the time I thought yeah. I'd go into business. or uh, and then. But my love of history really drove me to eventually to go to law school. My brother already went to law school. And then um, so we got to go to George Washington in our nation's yeah. Yeah. capital uh, and found my way down to Florida working for uh, a distant family member. My whole family moved down around 2000, up from Puerto Rico in 96. So we're all in central Florida now. And it was really by uh, needing to uh, meet people to for my law practice. I had a small business for over 12 years, making a pay, making a payroll twice a month, something sure. I, I think more members of Congress should have that experience. Yeah, right. right. And, uh, and it was through networking that uh, I ended up volunteering on campaigns and managing campaigns and then running myself. So uh, a lot of the background influenced me. There were little snippets growing, growing up, but it was really... Um, in Central Florida, knocking on doors and talking to people and trying to solve real-world problems in our community that yeah. really drove me. Yeah, and it, you know, I think having that experience as a small business owner, being embedded into a community, it matters and informs so much of the work that you do. And and like you said, we need more of that. What kind of advice would you give to small business owners who are like, man, I, I think I might want to do something like that, but I don't even know where to get started? Well, one... Much like a congressional office or a state rep office, it is a small business, right? So mm. there are a lot of – you have to manage people. You have to have a budget. You have to have an objective. So our small business owners – and there are many of them in the Congress uh, – do have a lot of skill sets. You have to market yourself around the community. Right. Uh, and – uh, small business owners know the tap of the town. So every in-district period, we're in a nice two-week period mm -hmm. right now, so we're, we're, we're going all over <clears throat> Central Florida. We do a small business tour in different areas of the district to meet with folks. And uh, and so you really get a sense of, oh, the traffic here is tough, or, mm. oh, uh, we could use a fix in an environmental issue here, or, oh, we need more economic development dollars coming in to help um, yeah. make this community more vibrant, or, or this is another issue popping up. So... Uh, they do work on a lot of issues that, because these civic issues affect their business, they're knowledgeable of them yep. and have opinions about them, of sure. course, mm -hmm. right? right? And then the kind of passion it takes to run a small business. Look, if you don't get up every day and do the work that maybe not everybody else is doing because mm -hmm. you're the boss and it falls to you, uh, your business doesn't thrive, right? And you have yep. to connect with people. So that also is very common with uh, with local government and state government and going on to Congress. So there's a lot of skill sets that translate, but also as you're balancing out, whether it's in a crisis or when you're dealing with regulatory issues or tax issues, you see, you know, yes, mm -hmm. we have to do protections to help people, but if you go too far, then it could be burdensome. Right, so that balance, right. you're never done with that. It's a constant continuum. Uh, the biggest example I could give you is when we were in the height of the pandemic. Yeah. And, uh, we put forward the Paycheck Protection Program, which had a huge bipartisan support because most of our small businesses across the nation, they don't have like three, four months of payroll just lined right. up there. They're almost hand to mouth. Maybe they have like one month or two mm -hmm. months. And you saw through no fault of their own with, uh, you know, having to uh, to hunker down during a lot of the pandemic that they would have all gone out of business. Right. And mm -hmm. so we came in to help and uh, we saw most of the small businesses in mm -hmm. downtown Kissimmee or in downtown St. Cloud or in Orlando 
survive and, and, and are now back to normal. Well, during the Great Recession, a lot of them went out of business. So those experiences from small business shaped my opinions on some of the biggest issues that we've worked on over the last three years. Yeah, that's good. Uh, tell us about some of the legislation uh, that you've uh, enacted and you're in the process now and working on. Yeah, I would love to hear some of the things. So I work a lot in, on jobs issues, a lot on environment, technology. Um, in Central Florida, we have a lovely place to live. We have high growth, so we have a lot of big challenges. Uh, like hard paying jobs, like the traffic and, and infrastructure, like protecting our environment mm -hmm. and affordable housing. So uh, several bills we worked on, on passed into law include um, helping um, folks get TPS who are of Venezuelan descent during mm -hmm. the uh, issues. You know, we have a huge amount of folks coming in who down there, it's a communist murderous dictatorship. Right. It's very sad. Uh, we uh, helped out with uh, making the, working to make the Kissimmee River a wild and scenic river. This is a key area for conservation, for uh, hunting and recreation, for wildlife um, that spans both Polk and Osceola County and uh, cleans the water going into Lake Okeechobee and out to the Everglades. So we just got a, a, a study in to, to push that along to make it a wild and scenic river. Uh, Senator Rubio and I passed uh, the Restoring Resilient Reefs Act, which reauthorizes funding to restore our reefs. The, mm. the Great Florida Reef is the third largest reef track in the world, wow. and it's having challenges because of pollution, because right. of warming seas. And, and so we're working with local folks like SeaWorld and others to help rebuild the reef. Uh, we're uh, helping with uh, improving infrastructure to prevent pollution from going out and, and hurting the reef. And then, of course, we're working on climate issues and, and other major bills as well. Uh, so those were a couple bills just from this last term that mm -hmm. we worked on that uh, were a big help. Uh, we uh, then a lot of the major things we're doing are just implementing major laws that pass. So last term we passed the uh, the investment job and infrastructure right. yeah. law, which was, excuse me, the Investment Infrastructure and Jobs Act, mm -hmm. which uh, Florida's getting upwards of about $50 billion over the next 10 years to wow. uh, help upgrade our roads, uh, mm -hmm. to help with um, improving our clean water, with the with the grid, getting internet to all Americans. Mm -hmm. Our rural areas are falling behind with internet, so we're now finally getting that money down to do that. So everything from I-4, which I'm sure yeah. Yeah. those of you here in Southeastern know that, uh, to, uh, to helping out with... Uh, we're going to see a potential Sunrail expansion uh, and Brightline, as well as um, a bunch of money coming down through the state revolving fund that helps out with water projects. Right. You know, in Polk County, we we are running out of water. Uh, so it seems hard to believe because we have all the surface right, water, right. but uh, it's we usually get our water from the Florida end. So we're going to have to build some new reservoirs around here. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's affected jobs because we've had some major companies who were we're trying to get in, um, but they'd need enough water to do sure. what they're doing. So just some issues that are directly affecting here in, in Polk County. And then, of course, the the rural areas. Uh, we were just in Keenansville, Florida, which is in southern Polk County, yeah. and uh, our southern Osceola County, and uh, with our ranchers and folks who are um, who are managing hunting leases and some of these other uh, opportunities down there. And it's amazing how much technology they need mm -hmm. to download, to track the quail or the Osceola right, turkey right. or yep. or to uh, have GPS for the cows. Like it's this is not your grandfather's agriculture right. anymore, right. right? And so uh, all these things are helping out with that. Um, and then jobs. Uh, we are really focusing on a lot of the 
tech clusters throughout the mm -hmm. area from Cape Canaveral, where we have the busiest spaceport in the world, and our, 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 we're heading back to the moon, everybody. That yes, is exciting. I know, big announcement. We are really excited about that. Um, we do simulation training mm -hmm. to help train our military at UCF. We have a medical city at Lake Nono, where we have Nemours and the VA mm -hmm. hospital and others. And then uh, in uh, Neo City, we're making microchips. So help them try to protect our environment, improve our infrastructure, and uh, also bring in more higher-paid job, higher yeah. jobs to the region. So a lot of stuff we're working on, and uh, it's all about improving the quality of life for our constituents. Love it. And we have a lot of students who are thinking about the next level of their career. They're, they're in college. They're trying to figure out what, what degree path to pursue. If you could give them advice as you're seeing the future of this country and all the different places with energy and commerce, what are some of the industries that students should really consider just jumping into and getting becoming a part of? Most of the high-paying jobs that are coming in and being developed are in STEM. Okay. So I say that as a lawyer, right? Yeah, economics yeah, major, yeah. history minor. <laughs> okay. And there's jobs for us too. <laughs> yeah. But of all these tech clusters that are coming in, STEM is really going to drive a lot of it. And look, math is hard. Science right. is hard, right? So I'm, uh, I'm saying that to tell people if you're looking to really provide for the future and you wanna. Uh, live here in Central Florida and you're looking for innovative new jobs, of course, as we produce more and more in Central Florida, then that helps out everyone else from right. the local grocery store uh, to the local law office to the barbershop to you name it, mm -hmm. uh, restaurants, because people who have money in their pockets support small businesses. So there'll be plenty of jobs for right. everybody, but, mm -hmm. but the main ones are in aerospace and space. They're in simulation wow. training and virtual reality mm -hmm. uh, as we train our troops for to go into helicopters and tanks and all these different things. And they're in medical technology and advancing, mm -hmm. uh, helping cure cancer and infectious diseases. Uh, they're in microchips, which right. we learned during the pandemic. We can't have all the microchips be built 10,000 miles away because right. Things can happen. The pandemic happened. The Ukraine war is happening. The, right, the world right. is a small place in that we could transport things, but it's a big place in that 10,000 miles is still 10,000 right. miles across the Pacific. Right. Um, to get the microchips that are in your two laptops that we're sitting mm -hmm. here right, right now and in that studio over there mm -hmm. and in those cameras, even in your children's toys, right? So um, a lot of these things are in STEM, and not all of them will require a college degree. A lot of them you'll be able to get certifications for as well. Mm -hmm. uh, welding's a big one. Megatronics is a big one, uh, as well as uh, on-the-job training for a lot of these companies. So uh, a, a lot going on. And one last thing, we had the biggest clean energy manufacturing uh, project announced for Florida in our district in Poinciana, a rural area that straddles both Polk and Osceola County, where they'll be making solar panels, they'll be making charging stations for electric vehicles, uh, among other areas, a $431 million project in an area that could use more jobs. So a lot going on. So students, right. uh, yeah. the future's bright. That's right. Just focus on finals soon and, uh, <laughs> and, and get, get what's in front of you done first. But, yeah. uh, but there's going to be a lot of opportunities for, for students to, to be able to get a good mm -hmm. job, raise a family, be able to buy a home, mm -hmm. things of that nature. And, and STEM will be one of the biggest ways to do it. Yeah. I want to talk about the committees uh, you serve on, the House Committee on Energy and Commerce, as well as the House Committee on Agriculture. There was uh, a significant hearing uh, just a few weeks ago on on, uh, on social media. Can you comment on your perspective on, on that hearing? And what do students and their families need to know, really, when it comes to these new technologies? First, we do need to enact privacy legislation and basic legislation to regulate social media companies. So there's not much out there right now. So most of the enforcement is through 
the companies with their own terms of service. Now there is First Amendment rights. These are private companies, so mm -hmm. there's there's a, th we can't go all the way to do whatever we want, but there are guidelines. And and so one of the biggest common ground areas is privacy. Uh, things like protecting your your DNA and your social security number, your geolocation mm -hmm. or your calendar. Uh, Things of that nature, people would be shocked, but there's not much protections outside of mm -hmm. HIPAA, and that's with healthcare companies. Right. That's right. people are selling all sorts of data that you'd be shocked about. The, right. the, the Americans would be shocked about. So, um, we have a great group on the Energy and Commerce Committee. There is uh, five Floridians now. Come on, uh, Gus Billarakis, who's yeah, yeah. the chair of the subcommittee that regulates that would regulate this stuff. I'm on that committee with him. We Come have. Dr. Dunn, who's out of the Panhandle, Kathy Castor, also Tampa right, Bay, Tampa. and now we just brought in uh, Kat Kamick from the Gainesville, Ocala area. We did have a bipartisan uh, bill that Kat and I put together to give a notice that that TikTok's banned on on federal devices, uh, mm -hmm. and so you're alluding to a high-profile sure. hearing yeah. we had with with the TikTok CEO. And my thoughts are one: uh, we do need to make sure parents have control over mm -hmm. what their kids are able to see and not see uh, until 18 years of age. And you could have like a 16, 17-year-old kind of version, but parents still need to be in control of that, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so make empowering parents a key part of the common ground we all agree on. And then it is problematic that the company has major ownership from a company in China, not because China's our enemy, they're more of our economic rival. Um, mm -hmm. They could be in the future, I'm hoping not. We, we, right. we want to live in peace. Um, but the laws of that country allow them to to get data access that is would be troubling for Americans. So um, decoupling ownership from where they have a wholly owned American subsidiary, the data is being brought to the United States and some of it is in Singapore. So so storing the data. And I'm, a, I'm always concerned about a total ban on things because they rarely right. work mm -hmm. and then it ends up being pushed into the shadows mm -hmm. and then things happen, but we have no control over it, right? So. I wouldn't support a ban, but I would support empowerment. And I, I think these rules would also need to apply to Facebook and yeah. Twitter and and YouTube. I'm very concerned about radicalization under YouTube uh, uh, as well. So there, there are rules of the road that we should be working on to protect privacy, empower parents, ensure that these are American companies subject to the jurisdiction mm -hmm. of the United States, or at least our allies, like sure. Europe, places that uh, share democratic values. So. Um, it's been tough because we tried right, to pass right. it through and it doesn't seem to happen. But right. you got one vote in May uh, to to try to bring these things in, rein yeah. them in. Yeah, and when I look, what's interesting about this issue specifically with TikTok and social media is it doesn't it doesn't really fit with a lot of the major ideological narratives. So for the first time, what as I'm observing it, we're seeing people on different sides of the aisle agree on things, realizing, oh, there's a lot of common ground between us on this issue that, you know, isn't one of the main ideological pillars. Walk us through, I'd love to hear your process of understanding these issues. How do you break them down? How do you research, get the information you need? And what does it look like for you to develop an opinion on something like this in a way that we can teach our students to go through? Well, first, it's all about the constituents. So yep. emails we got, phone calls we've received, um, most of those circled around uh, parents wanting to be empowered and uh, and young people not wanting it banned, mm. right? Um, because there is a lot of beautiful stuff that goes on, art and mm. music, and and I'm sure you all have certain social media you're right, utilizing right, right, yeah, 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 university. Right. Like we use Twitter and Facebook on a daily basis in my office and yeah. Instagram. So there are 
both the best and the worst right. of human nature. Right. Yes. Right. It, it's really a mirror to <laughs> ourselves, uh, yeah. but because we've seen sometimes people turn to violence uh, mm-hmm. or, or radicalization, yeah. regardless of the ideology, there there is a, a real concern. And then uh, for for our kids, you know, young minds are impressionable. They're mm-hmm. easily able to become addicted to, to social media and. Uh, and so giving parents the, the power to be able to help control that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then once you're 18, you know, right. you're great. Right. Right. You, you are in the draft. Mm-hmm. You get to vote. Right. <laughs> you can yeah. defend the country and you get to, you know, within the laws, mm-hmm. do whatever you want on right. social media. Right. So there's there's those dividing lines that that uh, I think uh, a lot of us uh, have come to through constituent chores and through our own uses of social media. Right. Yeah. Uh, with us having to use it to communicate. Uh, and uh, and so. A lot of that helps out. And then, of course, I've been on this committee now three terms in a row. So I've mm-hmm. had the opportunity to be able to uh, question uh, Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. um, and question Jack Dorsey, who is the, the yeah. former CEO of Twitter and mm-hmm. uh, and the gentleman from both YouTube and, and Google yeah. and, and from now TikTok. So I've heard straight from their leaders on, on their opinions on things. And a lot of them will say we need to be regulated so that it doesn't fall to them to do things that really they should kind of have the, be shored up mm-hmm. in what they're doing by by the power of the people supporting it. But then the, it's always in the yeah. details, right? Uh, so I think that where we could start is, is in bipartisan privacy legislation we passed out of the committee uh, last year uh, unanimously out of yeah, our committee. Right, right. Um, the Senate didn't think it went far enough. Folks from California had their own version that they were worried about preemption. Now a couple other states who are doing their right. own are worried about preemption. So, But nothing is more interstate commerce than the right. internet. Oh, yeah. Right? I oh, mean, yeah, it's, it virtually has no respect for any no. any yeah. any barrier across the world. And that's one of the beauties is you can right. communicate with someone from Australia mm-hmm. or from South Africa or from Brazil, and it's mm-hmm. streamless other than the time zones, right? So, right? so we definitely need the federal government to be more involved in this, but just with basic rules of the road. And, and, and so, yeah, like with some other major civil rights mm-hmm. and, and regulatory reforms, it may take a while to get it to what we all can agree on, but I... I strongly think we could at least protect privacy and empower parents and get that through this term. So my hope is that that'll happen. That'll be great. Well, we're going to move into our fire round and just ask a few quick questions uh, about everything we've kind of discussed and and always like to grab just some uh, practical, applicable pieces of advice for our listeners. Uh, So just three questions. Uh, Michael, you can fire the first one. Love it. Love it. So if you could sit down with any leader, past or present, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> there you go, Teddy Roosevelt for uh, sure. Uh, yeah. He was the first conservationist. I yes. work a lot on environmental mm-hmm. issues. Uh, we are grappling with antitrust issues right mm-hmm. now, and how big do we want companies to be without right. st- hurting competition? He was fearless, mm-hmm. and uh, he lived such an intense life. People right. would talk about how if you were going into his office in the time it took you to walk to his desk, he would always, he would be reading another book just to, like he lived life zealously, he thrived, and uh, he was just a larger than life personality. So yeah, I'd I'd want to meet Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Uh, What piece of advice would you give to leaders when combating disagreement and criticism? Because that is there. So first, respect. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I learned that from my parents. I learned that from being a Catholic and my upbringing with that, as well as practicing law and having to work with people who have diametrically opposite mm-hmm. interests than you. Respect is very key. You have to compartmentalize. Look, there are certain things we have fundamental disagreements. Mm-hmm. And that night, it may be very upsetting to me, but you got to wake up the next day and work with folks, right, for the good of the nation. Seek common ground um, where you could find it. It's out there. It's just whatever you need to do, pray, whether whether you're going to go for a walk out Mm -hmm. in the – or whatever you do to relax, find your zen and get back to it. Um, Those would be the fundamental ways. And then relationships matter. Uh, over time, you develop these relationships that you 10 years, 15 years, like one of your professors, Dennis Ross, yes. uh, served in the Congress and in the State House with me. Since 2007, I've known Dennis. So yeah. even as we may get on the floor and be passionate on an issue and be on the opposite side of one, we're neither of us are going to take it personal. And you don't personalize it. Right. If you are really passionate about an issue, you talk about the issue mm-hmm. and how it's affecting your constituents. You don't call someone names or say it's yeah. their fault. They're coming from another position, and you have to have respect for that. But I think that's the biggest thing. Re- respect is the biggest, but a lot of these other lessons can help too. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Last question before we close out our time together. There's a lot of listeners who, like we talked about earlier, are wanting to be more involved. What's an easy way for someone to get involved with their local governments? What's kind of that first step? Attend the meetings that they have, and and especially on issues that you care about. So Mm. first, lead with values. What are your values, whether they be local, state, or federal issues? And then go and see how it works. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me how many people run for city council and they've never attended a city council meeting before. Wow, yeah. As opposed to someone who started out as like, you know, the head of the HOA or the head of a local civic organization. They work with folks. They served on boards. So by the time they run... They actually know what the job entails. Uh, and so uh, that would be a big part of it. Uh, working on some campaigns is helpful mm-hmm. too. So you see that candidate debate, have yep. to raise money, walk with constitu- talk to constituents, knock on doors. So all those things working your yep. way up. And you don't have to take forever. I mean, right. an election cycle or two will help you with that. So those are helpful. And then knowledge is key. Mm. I'm constantly reading the paper. We're talking about uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, before okay. in our discussion and, and about the briefing yeah. that was very late at night. I had already read up for a day or two and yep. was fully briefed on it by the time that came up. So there wasn't much I wasn't aware of. So knowledge is foundational. And then remember your community, right? All those folks you talk to, you need to remember all that you promised folks, all that you mm-hmm. talked about, what their aspirations are. And you go in and you bring the dance partners who brought you there. Right. right. And, you, and you stand up for them. Uh, uh, all those things are helpful. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Well said. Well, Congressman Soto, thank you for joining us today on, on our podcast. We are grateful for your leadership and the way you serve. And you do lead by values in a pretty significant way. And you are having a tremendous impact for this nation as well as for our, our state here in Florida. So we are grateful to you. If you want to stay up to date with Congressman Soto, you can follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rep Darren Soto. Any other place we can direct people to, or is that? Well, our newsletter's pretty. Oh, that's good. the most popular okay. one. Ironically, with all these yes. social media efforts of ours, um, it's to be honest, it's a, a, really the fifty-five plus crowd that right. loves it. But yeah. but I get 
compliments all across the yeah. district about the newsletter. It's informative, it's positive, it's mm -hmm. brief. And how do we Lots get access? Lots of photos. Uh, so you could go onto our website, soto.house.gov. Okay. And uh, and you could register for the newsletter, and, and it's all about what we're doing to improve mm -hmm. the community. Okay. So Love people it. really like it. Yeah, soto.house.gov. Correct. Awesome. All right, excellent. Thanks again for joining us, and thanks, everybody, for joining us on today's Framework Leadership Podcast. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on Framework Leadership. If you're watching on YouTube right now, now would be a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get more leadership content right into your YouTube feed. You can also check us out on Instagram at Kent underscore Ingle at Dr. Michael Steiner or on Twitter and YouTube at Kent Ingle. And hey, if you love great email newsletters, and I know that I do, you want to check out the Framework Leadership Newsletter. Every single Friday drops in great tips to be a better leader, resources, thoughts right into your inbox. Check it out. You can sign up at kentingle.com. Make sure you hop on to there. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody.